0: Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 934. To begin today's show, Dan Zemborski and Jason Martinez are ready to give thumbs up or thumbs down to all 30 teams after last week's monster trade deadline. While there were indeed a ton of moves, some of the biggest news was the transactions that didn't happen. Dan and Jason talk about things like the Rockies not dealing Trevor Story, Robbie Ray's excellent year with Toronto, and Chris Sale returning from injury being a bigger addition for Boston than they could have found on the trade market. Dan also asked Jason about his hometown Padres, who made some moves but felt a little overshadowed.
1: It wasn't from lack of effort. I mean, I still have to give them the thumbs down technically because they did lose ground to both the Dodgers and the Giants based on the trade deadline. They tried to get Scherzer, they came up short, and you know, sometimes you put your best and you fail, kind of like me asking out girls in high school.
0: After that, lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen is joined by Brandon Golowski to talk about the fallout from the draft signing deadline, including the Mets not coming to an agreement with first-rounder Kumar Rocker. Brandon recently wrote on the situation over on the homepage, and he and Eric get into why the Mets made mistakes, but also why the draft system is set up so poorly. They go over things like safety picks in the MRI program list, as well as what could be going on with those medicals for one of the highest-profile players in the recent draft. Eric and Brendan also discuss frustrations with ownership and the conflict of incentives to make a team as profitable as possible instead of competitive.
2: And I just think if you're a billionaire that owns a team and like the Royals sold for a billion dollars. Yeah. It should just be your, it's your toy. Yeah. It should for just your be your civic plaything to like, you know, yeah. breed goodwill and foster community in the city that they're winning in. And so just, if you can't, If you can't throw down with the Yankees and the Dodgers, then, like, don't buy a sports team. Yeah. Buy a minor league franchise or, like, a yacht or something, but don't, like, don't buy a sports team and then try to squeeze every dime out of it. Like, that's bad for all of us.
0: But before we bring you these outstanding conversations, I must point you towards the Fangraphs.com shop. Check out our shirt and merch designs. And most importantly, consider an ad-free subscription for yourself or for a friend. It is the best way to browse a site and to help us keep things running. We sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you. Enjoy the show.
1: Hi, I'm Dan Zaborski here for Fangraphs Audio, and we are here to talk the trade deadline, that deadline that passed last week and allowed us all to sleep over the weekend. I'm joined today by Jason Martinez, who spent about 73 hours a day updating the roster resource depth charts, updating the Fangraphs depth charts, and I've heard that he ages five years for every year because of the trade deadline. Jason, is this true?
3: Ah, It's getting, the yeah, I'd say so. You know, doing the math, Yeah pretty much i i think so and especially this this deadline man it was fun it was exciting it was like everything that i thought it could be just because so many big names were potentially available you know you you can look at all those teams and you go these guys are probably out of it this guy's going to be a free agent okay you're going (laughs) to trade them and and even based on that there wasn't as much hype as there should have been, but I, you kind of knew, like, all right. But I think we've been disappointed in the in the past on deadlines that have gone like, ah, okay, well, that was that was okay, but it could have been better if this guy would have gotten traded, you know. But of course, with with Bryant and Baez and you know and Barrios and all the guys from the Nats, it was like. It was amazing. And even the team that was like, I'll scratch my head, why would, why would you not have traded your guys? That was the Rockies. And I think that was still like, yeah, that was kind of expected anyways, um, that it would be the Rockies that didn't do the, the thing they should have done.
1: Well, we have a lot to talk about because we have 30 minutes and 30 teams, and I feel that we're going to go to each team, quickly evaluate what we thought of their trade line with a thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs in the middle. Thumbs are good enough for Siskel and Ebert, and since Cisco and Ebert are better than me, I think I can't really look down on a thumbs up, thumbs down method. And I think we will start in the middle instead of going from best to worst or worst to best. That way, we get more interesting as it goes on. So we're going to start with the St. Louis
3: Cardinals. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go in the middle. I would say kind of thumbs. I was. I was thinking thumbs down, but it's like I think really there wasn't a lot they could have done. I think they just needed to just stand pat. And so by adding, you know, a couple lefties that have some have a track record, I thought that was kind of like all right, let's just do something. I wasn't expecting them to do too much, so I'm gonna go thumbs middle there. I'm in the middle, but
1: almost pointing to down they there's not a lot of clarity going on with the cardinals right now you look at john lester yeah he kind of eats innings but then they come out the other side i think that a more interesting inning eater pickup would have been would have been a better idea look at i mean could they have won a bidding war for trevor williams i think that's not that difficult to do and still kind of preserve their slim hopes of the division title but it's probably not a big deal but you know i want to keep my my thumb hovering just in case i want to something happens and i put it down then we get to the mariners for me i did not include them in my zips trade deadline reshuffle winners losers simply because depending on how i looked at it i was thumbs up thumbs down or thumbs in the middle for me the mariners they they didn't actually get worse really and the shuffle kind of uh the the closer shuffle adding toro uh that benefits them in the long term but it didn't really do anything to aid their s- kind of slim chances at the at, at the 2021 wild card what do you feel jason
3: yeah i i i would go thumbs down i do think they are they are better than than most people expected and it's a fun team it's an exciting team and i thought you know especially with depoto as as their, the gm the guy who likes to make all these trades i thought you know and they do have some really interesting pitching prospects who you know, a couple of them could have been like really, really good. You know, centerpieces of a of a, of a trade to bring in bringing a big name. Well, with that said, I think you know, just just knowing that, okay, nobody really expected this. They're still a good team. I think they still have a shot. The timing of that trade with Grayman was, I, I think, it really could have messed with the team chemistry. Whatever you think of that, and whatever you think of what what came of it, and what and why they needed to make the trade at that time, I do think. I do think. That team was riding right a high where it's like, man, we're just we're we're just having fun. We're a good team, and then you just send one of our guys across, across the you know across the the to the other to the other clubhouse to the division rival, and I think that kind of you know I kind kind of killed the momentum a bit. So we'll see if they can if they can bounce back. I, I, I think they're I think they did okay, but I think they could have done a lot better.
1: I think there was kind of a promise of chaos from DePoto, because when they announced the grave, then they're like,
3: there's more
1: coming. And there, <laughs> was, there was a little more coming,
3: not really, yeah.
1: but it wasn't that much. I mean, yeah, yeah, you picked up another bullpen arm, but that's, that's all you did. It wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, we've seen some pure DePoto chaos in the past. There was no chaos there. But one thing that didn't do chaos was the Cincinnati Reds, low key, a couple bullpen pickups. Uh, how, how do you feel about them?
3: I'm gonna go with a thumbs up here because they they didn't do they didn't do much. I mean they 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 added to their bullpen, and I think any contender you add guys like that to your bullpen who have a little bit of a track record who can help you out whether wherever you wherever you put them in the in the bullpen whether it's middle relief or or setup man. You know, I, I think their obvious weakness for most of the season has been bullpen. And then they've had a few guys step up and they've gotten better. And then they just said, let's not mess around in that area. You know, we got TJ Antone and, and Lucas Sims, Michael Lorenz, and all guys who could help, but we don't really know what to expect. Let's add a few more guys. We got a really good lineup right now, starting pitch, pitching a solid. I, I, of course, they could have done more, but I think they're, they, you know, I, I just think they look at their, their, their roster and go, this is a good team. We're we're on a roll here. We got some momentum. Let's not mess around too much, and and, and stood st- st- pat for the most part.
1: I put them in my meh, which stands for medal. So <laughs> I guess thumbs in the in the medal. Uh, I I think I would have liked them to be a little more aggressive, simply because where they are right now and where they were at the trade deadline is they are the they're the wild card teams after the Padres right now, and the Padres did not successfully accomplish anything, and you kind of think that the Reds should have been a little more aggressive because if something happened to the Padres, all of a sudden that little slim hope becomes a much fatter one, and it actually did after the Tatis injury.
3: I wonder if it would have changed if Tatis would have got hurt before the trade, the trade deadline, or if, the, if they just knew the Padres weren't going to do anything else. I think, I think they could have looked at the Padres at that point and went, uh, we're going to catch, we can catch these guys. Let's, take, let's make one more big move. Uh, but, you know, timing, timing could be, be very important there. Now, I'm not met
1: on the next team, uh, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of laziness. <laughs> they had a as as much as I bash the Rockies, the Angels hadn't even acquired a trade deadline. They have Shohei Itani. They have Mike Trout. They still have, you know, at the time, of the deadline, non zero playoff odds. But they didn't really do much of anything. Yeah, they sent out Andrew Heaney, but I don't know what that means long term. And they did have trainable guys like rice aleglasius
3: yeah i I was a little disappointed but of course you know i i thought even if they were a little bit if you looked at that at that wild card race and you went yeah they're they're kind of far out but this is a team let's just let's just if we're good enough to get a few games closer and then we get trout back we got rendone and we got this full this this stack lineup. Uh, maybe you know a couple of our young pitchers continue to pitch well, but let's add one more guy. Let's add one more guy to the bullpen. I I thought they were that one team where you can kind of just ignore how far they were out and go look. This is this we could be a surprise team. And yeah, they didn't. They kind of were. They, they they took the attitude of we're selling, and they're going to go to a lot of younger guys now. Obviously, like the rotation is a bunch of bunch of young guys. They're going to give them give them a look. They called up Joe Adele. They got Brandon Marsh there. So they're obviously. Sellers. Well, they obviously were were not looking at the, the roster as being non contenders, but they didn't make any trades. So it was surprising that they kept Iglesias, or that they just that they could have just stood stood right in the middle and was like, eh, well, we're not really sure. Which is what the Cardinals did, um, and, and I don't have a problem so much with that. But I do I do think the Angels could have gone either way a little bit more aggressively. Now, a
1: team that was braver at the trade deadline was
3: the Phillies.
1: You thought I was going to say Braves, but I wasn't. <laughs> so the Phillies—it—it it, it looked like they were going to be quiet, but in the last minute, they, you know, they brought in Kyle Gibson, and that's a—that's a big thing for the rotation. How do you feel about Gibson?
3: Yeah, th- thumbs up on, on this one here because it, it improved. To you know, and, and I think it wasn't. I think most people weren't expecting them to 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 shuffle things around after, but it gave them that opportunity to do this. So you know, you got a bullpen that's kind of a mess. And so you add Ian Kennedy and you go, this guy's, you know, even if he's just one of the guys in the ninth inning, he's going to be solid. He's like we kind of know what we get here and the other guys can kind of figure things out. And Ranger Suarez is, 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 is doesn't have to take on the full share of, of of saves. But of course then they move Suarez to the rotation, you know, they move Chase Anderson to the rotation and they add Gibson. So I think they really just overhaul that entire rotation with guys who they think are gonna gonna keep them in games now and now you know you still have you know to get the ball to kenny is still going to be a challenge but it's still it's a talented roster you know with 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 some superstars there how far how close are they in the wild card now they're like right behind cincinnati where are they oh no they're still 500 team only two and a half out in the east so yeah they're they're yeah I, i i like what they did i mean it it wasn't much else they can do to the to the offense but yeah so yeah yeah you upgrade upgrade the rotation upgrade the bullpen yeah can't argue with that yeah had Freddy Gal Galvis which is kind of an under the radar thing he can you know help out around the infield later in the year
1: yeah, and they didn't give up a lot for Freddy Gavis. Uh It's it's a it's a good pickup when you're not spending a lot for it. Uh, now that brings us to Cleveland, the soon-to-be Guardians. I'm still getting used to that name. I still see Cleveland Guardians. I wonder, oh, do they have a soccer team? Because it, it just it just sounds like a soccer team to me still. But but that's for another day. They they did a they did. A, They didn't do a lot this trade deadline, but they did do a few trades. They got rid of Jordan Luplo. They got rid of Cesar Hernandez, you know, some other minor moves. One that kind of goes under the radar, but they did acquire uh, Miles Straw, who will probably be the starting center fielder for a team that has struggled to put together an outfielder in recent years. They're probably in the middle for me. I'm still not sure how I feel about the possibility of them creating Jose Ramirez. I'm not sure if it's necessary now, but I I still don't kind of see where the team is going. So thumbs in the middle for me.
3: Yeah, I'd I'd say I'd say middle. There wasn't much. I mean, I I think the guys that they could have traded away, they 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 did trade away. You know, the Eddie Rosario, you know, Cesar Hernandez. I think knowing all, they have a bunch of different options coming up, uh, middle infielders. So you know, even though Hernandez hasn't, you know, that six million dollar option for next year, I think they looked at that depth coming up and said, look, we got we got some guys to. to Fill that spot there. You know, adding Miles Straw is interesting, but it's also like, and I don't. Maybe they they just really, really like Miles Straw. They have a bunch of, of those outfielders that are like, you don't get too excited about. It's just like, all right, this, this is another guy who should get a get a chance to audition here. Is it you know whether it's a Bradley Zimmer, uh, you know like Harold Zimmer, Mercado, Daniel Johnson. They uh, they have a lot of guys. That you know they're 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 getting a shot getting a shot, but there isn't really anybody who you look at and go, okay, this guy's definitely going to be part of our 2022 lineup. You know, maybe they think of Miles Straw that way. So we'll see. I think yeah, I think they're you know by holding on to 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 Plesak and Savali and Bieber and you know with all those injuries, they couldn't really they the value couldn't have been very you know and it wouldn't have been enough to trade them right now. But I think they can look at that team in the off head into the off season and go, okay, we got. Three really good starters, and you've got, we've got these two young guys, there a few young guys in the bullpen, and then we've got a few guys we can build around the lineup. So at least it's a start. Who knows what, you know, how aggressive they're going to be in the offseason, if they're going to add any, anything to the payroll, but um, I think they feel just pretty comfortable knowing you're going to go into the offseason with at least a solid foundation there.
1: I kind of thought Hernandez was gone because, you know, the best way you can highlight who you got for Lindor, you know, both Rosario and Jimenez, is to trade the second baseman. So that way you can play both of them. I think that has to play some factor. Bradley Zimmer, you know, if I didn't know better, I would assume he's like 35 now because he's kind of been around but not really the starter for like, it feels like a decade. Uh, Even though I know that's not true. Uh, It's just that. Time has gone very weird since the since COVID started. Uh, that 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 brings us to the Atlanta Braves, who I'm super positive about. They did not, you know, get a major superstar. There was no Max Scherzer, there was no Trey Turner, but they did do a lot. They pretty much built an entirely new outfield from scratch. They 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 picked up a a, a top reliever. I like what the Braves did. I I I was prepared to hate their deadline, but I I like what they did. I like Richard Rodriguez. I'm happy with the Braves.
3: Yeah, same. I'll give I'll give them a thumbs up. And and the thing is, that, you know, it's, it's disappointing because you look at their record. and You go, okay, they're under 500. Just lost their best player for the season, and then you go, but wow, we're like right right there. What do we we gotta gotta do something? And and so yeah, and they and they didn't like half-ass it. They they win them. They, they're like they got four outfielders. They got you got Peterson, Duvall, Soler, which I thought was a great, great pickup because you just never know what that change of scenery is going to do. And he had shown some signs of, of breaking out of it, but his numbers were terrible. So, you know, you don't have to give up a lot for this guy. And then you also have Rosario who can help out as well. And then you got a couple of young guys in that rotation who are stepping up. Toussaint, Muller, you know, so I think I think there is... You can be, you know, be upset about being a sub 500 team and being without your best player. But, yeah, they're still looking at it as we got got a chance here and anything can happen.
1: There's something always very depressing about the Pirates considering where they are. But I I like their deadline. I thought the the return for Frazier was reasonable. I think people were kind of unrealistic if they expected someone to pay Frazier or pay for Frazier as if he were a five win player. Uh, I mean, they they got something for some of their minor pictures. I love adding Park. I'm a fan of him. I I think that's he's the kind of player that a team like the Pirates can afford to look at long term, where the Yankees obviously could not. Uh, so even if they're kind of cynical, depressing, and cheap, it's it's still a thumbs up for me.
3: Yeah, same. And I think, you know, they needed to trade Tyler Anderson because he's going to be a free agent. They got, got a pretty good catching prospect for him. He added another young pitcher who was kind of buried on the depth chart with Atlanta and Bryce Wilson so now you got just another guy to throw into that mix and you got a couple more months to just audition a bunch of guys and same with that bullpen even though even though you could have had Rodriguez for two more seasons after this you didn't need to trade him I thought you know the timing was was good his his value was never going to be was never going to be any higher and so you just pull the trigger and then you go all right this this is it. We got two months. Let's evaluate everybody we got here, and then we can see see what we do in the off season.
1: Does Oakland get an A?
3: Not literally, because this is a thumbs up, thumbs down system. Oakland gets yeah, ah, uh, yeah. I, I I I think so. I, I'll give them the thumbs up, and they're they're going for it. They're way beyond the point of of like. I mean, they've been they've been a good team for a long time. So making moves like you know giving even give away a great pitching prospect like. Luzardo. I'm not even sure if he's a, considered a prospect anymore, but he's still a young pitcher with a ton of upside. So for, for for two months of Marta, yeah,
1: I love the Lizard King. I think that for a team like the A's, that kind of relies on certainty and not really wild gambles because they don't have the the payroll to cover up wild gambles. I can understand them not waiting for a a, a player like Luzardo simply because of the of the risk involved. Uh, I think that there's other I think the Marlins are better suited to that honestly and I think it's, it's I think it's a fair return it's tough because there are questions his upside of course is huge it, it could come back to haunt them but there are a lot of scenarios out there if, if if multi-universe theory is actually correct there are a lot of universes out there where he's a reliever for a few years and he's out of baseball by 30 uh so I'm 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 thumbs up. I like what they did. I also like what the Blue Jays did. They didn't do anything super shiny with the bullpen. They 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 picked up Hand, especially, and he's not the Brad Hand of several years ago. He's just depth at this point. But I love Jose Barrios, and I think that the thing about him is that it's. I think it's a bigger deal for 2022 than 2021. He's a nice to have this year, but I think this is essentially them getting their starting pitching shopping done a little bit early.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's the thing. You. you... It it does both of the, accomplish two things. Accomplishes like like sure we're we're kind of far out here. I mean, the the chances of us getting to the playoffs aren't great, but it's a fun, exciting team. All eyes are on the Blue Jays when you know with with that lineup with Vlad and and Springer and and Bichette and all these guys. That lineup is just so much fun. And then you, you you look at that that pitching staff and you go, yeah, you're not quite there. But then you add Barrios and you go, okay, the rotation looks strong. Uh, bullpen still still needs some work. We added we added two veterans in Han and Soria, but also like yeah. Now, what do we look like going into the off season? I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot, you know. And all these guys, a lot of these guys are young. Like they're only gonna get you figure, especially in the off season. Vlad's gonna you know gonna get better. Bichette's gonna get better. Some other young pitchers can you know can possibly help out. But I think I think you go into that off season knowing that you got you got Barrios, you got Ryu. And, and then you, you know Manoa, and then you go from there. With Robbie Ray being, becoming a free agent, you know Stephen Matz, it, it would have it wouldn't have been the same thing without you know you, you that would have been the entire focus. We need to add starting pitching. We need to add starting pitching. And they already added their their number one right there.
1: Is Robbie Ray going to ask for a tight pants clause in his next contract?
3: Yeah, he can ask for whatever he wants. Or will if the team require happen?
1: him to wear tight pants? <laughs> They'll bring out the special like spandex pants that he has to wear.
3: Yeah, w- whatever he's doing is working, man. I I think. Yeah, I, I think he has to stick with it.
1: Now, a team that shouldn't stick with it, the Colorado Rockies. In the interest of economy of time, thumbs down and and picture a barfing sound.
3: <laughs> you know, once once I saw that, I, I was focused as a Potters fan. I was focused on John Gray. Like, that's the perfect guy for, for us. Pitching to the NL West, I just need a guy who goes six innings and doesn't get, you know, and can give up, you know, two, three runs. Just He's just a quality guy. He's going to be a free agent. He won't cost a ton. And then when I saw that quote, he was like, I don't... He's like, <laughs> I, I want to stay here, man. I don't want to leave. Come on. I don't want to go anywhere. I was like, oh, well, I mean, nobody's going to want to acquire this guy. And that's cool if he wants to stay with the Rockies. But, like, you know, usually players are like, I, yeah, I want to get into a playoff race. Let's do this. You know, but he, you know, he have, you have your reasons. And so you go, okay, well, I guess they're not trading that guy. But, yeah, we'll just so, so you still got the Trevor Story deal that's going to go down. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And, and then he just... They didn't trade him, man. I, what? What the heck? I can't. I can't. I can't imagine what was going on behind the scenes there.
1: I think the Playgirl profile of a Rockies picture wants to stay with the Rockies, is, you know. Turn-ons, weed. Turn-offs, World Series rings. <laughs> now, a team that does have a lot of World Series rings. That was a good segue. San Francisco Giants, who picked up Chris Bryant uh, to add to their their roster, leading the league in in wins.
3: Yeah, thumbs up all, all the way, and it was it was starting to become pretty scary again as a Padres fan again because you go, okay, these guys aren't that good. They're gonna they're gonna slow down. They're gonna slow down and at some point. You know, Padres and Dodgers are just gonna, gonna go right past them, and it never quite happened. And then then it got to the point where it was like June, and it's like not only are they not slowing down, they're gonna add an impact player at the deadline and of course that's what ends up happening and they yeah, gave away two prospects for Bryant for two months or three months of Bryant and and they're not either either one is a top prospect decent prospects but yeah i mean for them to add Chris Bryant to this already immensely talented team i, I think uh, yeah they're they're in good shape really good shape
1: it's a wonderful roster fit simply because he plays third base now with Longoria out. And then there's a perfect spot for him in left field uh, uh, when Longoria is back. Uh, assuming Longoria is back unless something has happened that I have not heard about, but I, I like the Bryant signing. And I, I, I do kind of like what the Diamondbacks did. I, I think it was realistic to trade Escobar. They didn't really have a ton of players that were logical to trade. So I think they they did okay. So Thumbs slightly up, I mean, but it wasn't super exciting.
3: I mean, I, I figured they were going to be able to trade Calhoun, but who knows what the market is, who knows what the offers were. I think, you know, and he is a, I think he has an option for now. Yeah, $9 million club option, so maybe they wanted to keep an op- open mind on that. Like, maybe they need, do need to bring him back. He got Peralta coming back at $7.5 million, and I, I also thought if he was having a better season, I, I, I think he would have had more hits if Keitel if, if Marte was healthy. And then of course, I thought Merrill Kelly was gonna get would have been a really popular trade candidate, but of course we don't know what teams are asking or we're we're offering for him because I think the Diamondbacks go look, we got a guy who's who's really cheap. He's been really reliable on his really bad team. Let's not just give him away for nothing.
1: And they and they're gonna be a story because they're gonna have somewhat of a bounce back season next year because they're not really this bad. And they've had injuries. I don't think this is going to be a good team next year, but you know, I think that when they win seventy-five games instead of six—that's that's a made-up number—it uh, it will it will look like a huge improvement. Now, a team that doesn't look like they're going to improve much in the near future—it's going to be a while—is the Texas Rangers, who have who pretty much have abandoned any ideas of a skinny, quick rebuild, and they're going full bore, full tank. I think based on what they had, what they got for who they had to offer. I, I like what the Rangers did. I think it was necessary, even though it's going to be tough, but there was going to be no quick fix here.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, that, that's, that's that's true. And I think keeping Gallo, it was just like, that was going to be the whole story in the offseason. Are you going to trade Gallo? Or are you going to sign him to an extension? I think they just just did this early. You got four good prospects for him. And now you go into the offseason with a clean slate. You go, we got nothing on our payroll. We got all these holes to fill. So I think you know you, you, you know you can use your imagination as a Rangers fan and, and kind of like think of every player who's a free agent and go we we can we can sign every one of these guys and I don't know how aggressive <laughs> they're going to be but I I think you can at least imagine it and then you got a few a few good stories here in 2021 with Adelise Garcia Jonah Heim is is kind of emerging as as a really good good uh, starting catcher a couple other guys but you know the pitching staff's kind of a mess. Yeah, you, you pretty much completed that rebuild by once once you traded away Joey Gallo and then Kennedy and Gibson as well. And so now you're starting over and you should be a, be a fun offseason.
1: And that brings us to your hometown team, the Padres.
3: Yeah, I would say not not so much disappointed as a surprise. Of course, you know, we, we've seen what AJ Preller is capable of. And then he did, you know, did the Adam Frazier deal, and then you get Daniel Hudson. But I think the clear need was, was starting pitcher. If you've been watching this team, I mean, it's so frustrating watching watching Blake Snell. Even Darvish has been he's been really he's been really good. Joe Musgrove has been really good, but at times they're just not very efficient. <laughs> and then you go, look, we just this bullpen is so good, but they're going to get worn out. So we just need a starting pitcher. That's why I focus on you know a John Gray and the Merrill Kelly types, and go look these guys these guys will be helpful. So surprising that they didn't get any one of those guys. And I was okay with that whole philosophy of, okay, we kept you, we kept all you guys here. It's on you now go do, go, go turn things around and and you go get it. You know, and I think that motivates a clubhouse, but at least initially, you know, and then you lose Tatis. It doesn't, it doesn't appear to have worked so far. And all the momentum is just like, geez, it's, 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 heading it's trending downward so a little, little scary but roster is still good you just need need these guys to put it together here and then hopefully Tatis gets back at some point
1: it wasn't from lack of effort I mean I still have to give them the thumbs down technically because they did lose ground to both the Dodgers and the Giants based on the trade deadline they tried to get Scherzer they came up short and you know sometimes you, you put your best and you fail kind of like me asking out girls in high school <laughs> I, I, I still think that one of the reasons they're good is because they had the proper uniforms back
3: Oh, man. No generic blue. Those were awful. It's Tatis is, is, is a major reason why this town is just going crazy right now. But I cannot forget about how beautiful these uniforms are and how ugly they were and how boring they were for so many years. And so for the, for, for, for the owners to finally say, okay, we're going brown. And now we got this Tatis guy and, and we're going to pay him a billion dollars to stay here forever. I think, you know, they're, they're making the, the, the right choices right now. So now we just got to win. Now we just got to win a World Series. For the first time in my life, hopefully, before, you know, while I'm, I'm alive, San Diego will have a, a championship.
1: Yeah, my, my, my opinion is you should be able to hold up their uniform and, and compare it to a variety of mustard. If you can't, it, it fails. Yeah. Uh, a team I didn't think failed was the Minnesota Twins. They've they've kind of failed as a whole on the 2021 season itself. Uh, but the deadline, I think they did what they what they needed to do. I can understand not trading Buxton right now because he's always going to be an injury risk. And I think you kind of want to trade him at one of those up times where he's a, at least temporarily healthy. When When Buxton starts off, injured, then there's that risk that he's not gonna become non-injured and that kind of destroys the trade market. I can see if he's healthy them trading him in the offseason and
3: getting a, a decent haul for that. Yeah, I think people tend to, to forget about, about that because you know once he's once he's out there at, at, in a trade rumor, then people get focused on it. Oh you gotta trade Buxton, trade Buxton. And people forget that you want to trade a guy at peak value or as you know you, you don't want to trade a, a guy who's hurt. Guy who's not playing so well, and so, like, you look at an example like you know, Jesus Luzardo was traded in that deal for a couple months of Starling is because he's he, he took a step backwards, but so that was kind of like a, or, or else he wouldn't have been traded, you know, in that type of deal. But for typically, you got the guys that are getting traded, the minor league guys that are getting traded, they're having really good seasons, and you know, you, you're going to trade a guy a contending team only wants the guys who are playing well right now. It's like, we only got a couple months left in the season. We don't have that much time for you to turn things around. It's like, we don't have time for you to, to, to see if you can get healthy. Um, even if you can look at Buxton and say, well, we got another year of him. But yeah, we don't know what you're going to get. I, I think that all, that, that all goes into, into the thinking of like, how much do we offer for this guy? And that's why it, it's, a fun, it's a fun name to, to, in, in trade rumors. But it's also like, yeah, I, I can see why it didn't happen. Uh, Yankees. Yeah, I love that first lineup they rolled out. They did with the, was it a judge in center, Gallo, Gallo, right, Stanton in the left. It has power. <laughs> Man. And then, and then I, I realized at that point, I go, oh, they didn't trade Luke Voigt. Oh, and I go, oh, now you can fit all of them in the lineup. Yes. Because now you got, you know, you got Rizzo at first, but if you, if you're playing Stanton in the left and judge in center, then you got Luke Voigt as your DH. I was like, yes. Oh, man, it's going to be a fun, fun team to watch if they can uh, they can stay healthy and stay in, stay in this race.
1: What fascinates me about the Yankees outfield is they seem to have like a, a constant of supply of, slug, now, of slugging outfielders whose defense is underrated. Even Stanton, I mean, you don't want to have him in the field too much because of his health, but he was never actually really a horrible defensive outfielder. But let's let's go across town since since we're burning time. The Mets. Are they the Mets or the Mets?
3: Yeah, I, I can't complain with what they did. I mean, now now you got Javi Baez. I, I know he got hurt hurt yesterday. Did I don't know. I haven't heard anything, so it must have not been so serious. But you know, you, you get Javi Baez because Francisco Lindor is on is injured. I don't think they would have done that deal if Francisco Lindor wasn't injured. So now you got these two guys in your infield in September. Maybe you get Noah Syndergaard back at, at some point. Hopefully, they're going to get Jacob DeGrom back. So it's another thing. And they're in good shape because they're in first place. And they got some issues. And so adding Baez helps. You add Rich Hill. That, that might help a bit. You add to the pitching depth with, you know, even a Trevor, Trevor Williams. It's a talented roster. And, and so you just kind of like, let's just try to stay ahead in this division. And then we'll be at, you know, hope to be at full, full health in September. And then and just take off from there.
1: I'm going to slightly disagree on this one. For me, it's a thumbs down. I love the Baez pickup, but they had to know, they knew Thursday that DeGrom had inflammation in his workout, and that created a massive risk. And I think they needed more certainty than you can get from Trevor Williams and Rick Hill, who have questions of their own. I think that they needed to get another starter and a more ambitious one. Maybe you can't beat the Dodgers for Scherzer, but there are other options out there. So, Considering they lost ground to the Braves and Phillies, that's just where I am now. Uh, now we're going to my hometown team, the Baltimore Orioles, and this is kind of a thumbs in the middle for me because they didn't do much, but they didn't really have much. So it was just kind of hanging around, which is fine. They could have traded a Mancini, but that's not a massive error because I don't really know what his trade value is. So that's it for the Orioles for me.
3: Yeah. I mean, John Means is the one guy you could have looked at and said, OK, this guy can get it's a pretty, pretty decent uh, package of prospects, but you know he's been hurt, and I don't think they want to trade him anyways. I mean, they have a few interesting relievers who are—they all, all have several years left of, t- of club control, and I don't think any of them stand out as like this guy is just having a great year. He can help us, you know, in the seventh and eighth inning right now. And you know, guys like Paul Fry and Cole sulcer they they would be nice middle relievers on a lot of teams. So there wasn't much to do you know, at all, and they were, they don't have any free agents to be either, so yeah, they didn't have to do anything, unless you consider Matt Harvey, that guy, he's he's going to be a free agent, and he has been pitching well over the last, what, couple two starts? Yeah, the scoreless, was, scoreless innings Matt Harvey, the dark Knight. It wasn't enough to entice a, a playoff contender. Did the Red Sox do enough by
1: picking up Carl Schwarber?
3: Yeah, I, I think so. I didn't think they had to do too much. I mean, yeah, and everybody keeps saying this, but it's You know Chris Sale is better than any 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 guy they could have traded for, and it sounds like he's he's doing well on his on his in his comeback. He's going to be I don't know at least 16 months removed from Tommy John surgery when he when he when he makes his his uh, 2021 debut. So it's not like you're rushing the guy back. He should be able to. I don't know if he's going to be able to go six seven eight innings, but you you get you're bringing back one of the best pitchers in in baseball. And you and you were, you know, at the you know, you were at the top of the division until the Rays just swept you. And so again, timing, you know, may, maybe if they would have fallen behind three or four days ago, maybe they would have done a little bit more. But um, I, I think they're really counting on, on sale coming back and helping them out. I love the bullpen is, is deep, the lineup is, is talented. Yeah, I, I think I think they're counting on sale as the guy who's gonna to uh, really, really, really set the pace in September, get them into the playoffs.
1: Now, the Marlins aren't going to the playoffs, but I liked what they did. I think they have a really, really fun future rotation. Well, they have a a fun current rotation, but adding Luzardo to the mix, they're a team that has the depth that they can sort through who's healthy, who's not, who needs to move to the pen, who can stick as a starter. I think the Marlins could have the best pitching staff in baseball in two years and win 80 games because their offense stinks, but I like the pitching. Thumbs up for me.
3: Yeah, and this is what, and I think it's a great strategy. You want to stockpile all these these this pitching rod. These young pitching, most of them have been exposed to the majors, so you can't you can look at those guys and go, oh, he's gonna be great. He's gonna be a number two starter. He's gonna be he's gonna be an ace. And a lot of these guys have already been injured, <laughs> of course. But you know the path to to that, if they do become that, is gonna be you know it's gonna be filled with ups and downs and injuries and struggles. So. So the the point of stockpiling all these guys is that you're in really good position to start improving your your, your major league team. And so I think it'll be interesting to see this offseason if if you start packaging some of these younger guys because they got some really, really good arms that are like right there already, you know, and then you got Sixto Sanchez if he's healthy and you got, you know, Edward Cabrera and Jorge Guzman who've been come, you know, battling injuries, but but probably probably see some time in, in two thousand twenty-one and then the double eight rotation is stacked right now too with max meyer and jake eater so yeah to add lusardo to the mix i think they're they're putting themselves in position where you know look not all these guys are gonna you know actually most of them aren't gonna, gonna be able to help out but you're gonna get a lot of these young pitchers who are going to be part of part of your next winning team and then a lot of them are going to be used to add your next you know two or three line, uh hitting stars
1: now the royals they're kind of in the middle for me I'm kind of over them trading Salvador Perez or Whit Merrifield because it's not really happening unless they're bowled over. I I mean, I did like that they got something for Duffy and Solaire. I would have liked to see Carlos Santana traded. The team didn't do much for their future or their present, so I can't give them a thumbs up. But a thumbs in the middle for me on the Royals.
3: Yeah, definitely in the middle. There wasn't a lot they can do. It doesn't seem like there was much of a market for Carlos Santana type, especially, you know, he, he's he's still signed through next season. You know, you got to be pretty excited about Bobby Witt Jr. joining this team. I'm not sure if it's going to be this year, but, you know, just, I'm not sure. And, you know, I think the latest quote on Adalberto Mondesi from from Dayton Moore was like, maybe we can't count on this guy as an everyday player anymore, which is discouraging, but he's just stating, stating facts. His guy's always hurt. Um, if you had... If you can look at 2022 and go, like, we're going to have Mondesi, we're going to have Witt, you know, and we still got Maryfield, and Salvador Perez, yeah, I mean, I, you could be pretty excited about something, you know, as far as they're, they have a few young pitchers who haven't really, you know, Daniel Lynch is up there now. You have a couple other young guys. Jackson Cower had a couple bad starts. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of work to do. But, yeah, there, there really wasn't much they could do at – this deadline, so I can't really give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down.
1: Okay, how do you feel about
3: the Brewers? Um, Brewers, I, yeah, he, add, he added Eduardo Escobar, which was, which was, uh, yeah, that that's a big move, and it allows them to use somebody like Luis Urias, who is, you know, who's versatile. He can play second, he can play short. You don't have to start him every day. Although he was, you know, he's a young guy who was kind of, you know, he, he was he was for the most part holding his own there. But now you add this veteran, established third baseman who's who's going to be in the lineup every day, and that that only makes your lineup better. That's 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 it's important there. And then, and they got a bunch of guys who can, you know, even you know, like in the beginning of the season, they had what? What are you going to do with all these outfielders? Jackie Bradley Jr., Lorenzo Kane, Yelich, and Abysel Garcia. You have too many outfielders, and now you know. You even got a guy like Tyrone Taylor who's playing every day over Jackie Bradley Jr. So th- things change, man. It, and it's just just add as many as many good bats to the lineup as possible. And you see this with with the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Padres. You know, it's just like give your manager a lot as many options as possible and let him write the lineup out. You got all these guys who can who can. He's got a ton of, 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 of numbers that you can look at and go, look, this is the best lineup for today against this pitcher. So you don't worry about who's, who's going to play where or how much somebody's going to play. So I, I, like, I liked what they did there. And the, and the, the pitching staff is already in good shape, with, especially for the postseason.
1: I'm in the middle on the Brewers. I like Escobar. I think there were probably better fits out there for him. I would have liked to see the Brewers go for a more explicitly first base option uh, than kind of shuffling. I think Urias is, is fine at third. Uh, another team I'm in the middle with is the Detroit Tigers, who are very quick for me because not really anything happened. So that's the Tigers. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that, and I actually, you know, when you think of, of a rebuild, you know, you, you go, well, we're going to start trading away our players who have any, any value who are close to free agency. We're going to focus on um, stockpiling prospects in the minors, and then you're going to have a few bad seasons, but you want to establish that winning culture, right? You want, you want The next step is like we we got we to win games and not just get used to losing all the time. So I think the fact that they have been playing so well Maybe, you know, and they, they didn't have a, you know, Jonathan Scope would have been, a, you know. Yeah, but who's going to give a lot to Scope, really? So in the end, it's like, it's like, eh. Yeah, I think that's the point, especially with guys like, you know, we're talking about, a, you know, a first base DH types, even second base. There's not, oh, you look at the, the, the contending teams, there's not like obvious holes, you know. And like I said, you, you can just, you can add this guy and you go, you just let your manager find the best matchup for when to use him. But I think, as far as what people were offering, what teams were offering the Tigers, I'm guessing they were just like, "Look, we're good right now. Everybody's having fun. We have a little bit of buzz going on around about the about the Tigers being good now. Let's just let's just leave it alone." I thought Michael Fulmer, if if he hadn't been on the aisle you know, twice since he, since he emerged as a, like that, oh, this guy can can be a pretty good late-in reliever. But he's been on the IL twice since. And so I think that that hurt his his chances of being traded, but aside from that, you know unless it was Willie Peralta who was going who have been pitching really well I, I guess I guess that wasn't enough like like with Matt Harvey with his two great starts, you know willie Peralta one good month of Willie Peralta wasn't going to be enough to convince the team to, to, that they can trust him uh in their playoff race. Now, the White Sox, I do
1: like what they did. They addressed what they had to do. They, they have a short-term second baseman in Cesar Hernandez. They, they gave up Nick Madrigal, of course, which, which is a significant give-up. But given where they are now and there is risk from an injury, the, the, the nature of the injury for any player like him uh, that, rely, that relies on making contact speed, getting on base, I, I, I think what they did was, was, was solid. I like Kimbrell. I like Tapera. I think that it's a dangerous team.
3: Yeah, they're not they're not messing around. I think the good thing about being ahead in, in your division by so much is you can start planning for the for the postseason right now. Look <laughs> if we got Kimberly and Hendricks waiting waiting for like the last eight, nine outs of the game. you you know, the opponent's in trouble. And that's it. And you got all these other good arms in the bullpen who there probably isn't one guy who you can look at and go, Oh, he's just been reliable all year long. Um, Michael Kopek is was, was starting to become become that guy. I'm not sure if they're going to continue using him like, you know, they I think I think they've used him in back-to-back games once. You know, Garrett Crochet can can dominate, but he's also struggled a bit. Aaron Bummer hasn't been the same guy. So I think they looked at that bullpen and said, "This is one area. Let's just not mess around. Let, let's just not cross our fingers and hope it all comes together." we <laughs> are just adding the best reliever uh to to, you know, one of the other best relievers in baseball. So I I like what they did. Obviously, aggressive and just just said Let, let's just go for it.
1: So so to be green and save gas, we just drive up town to the Cubs. You you think that they did enough? You think they got enough in return for everyone, essentially?
3: Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I think you know you you don't want. I think half measures are kind of like kind of just just what what really turns off a fan base, right? So even if if you're trading away all these stars, I think for the most part the fans are gonna they're gonna get over it and they're they're gonna understand when you just if you want to hold on to all these guys just because of what they've meant to your team and then they leave as, as free agents, I mean they're gonna leave anyways. I, I think you know if you look back to what the the Royals did, you know, they held on to 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 Hosmer and, and, and Kane and all these guys became free agents and left. They didn't get much for, for any of those guys. And I think it was like, all right, well, these guys did a lot for the city, and we wanted to keep them, but we didn't. I, I think they did a good job to get what they can. And they're you know, obviously they traded away you Darvish before the season because they needed to start start improving their their farm system. The farm system was barren, so I think they continue to do that. I think it's going to be an interesting off season to see how quickly they start putting money back into it. But yeah, I'm, yeah, I say I see, go for it, man. I don't, I'm not into this into these half measures. All in or all out. And I
1: think the Cubs have a lot of let's say rope with their with their uh fan base simply because you know they have the World Series mm-hmm. they've done this before, and it worked out, so I think they get a lot more forgiving for that and 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 really, Wrigley Field always draws no matter how bad the team is it's it's not like. The fans are especially fickle. They can always draw well in Wrigley. They, they'll always make their money, even though they've never, ever made money ever, according to the ownership. <laughs> uh, I, I think they did what they had to do. It's tough, but, you know, rip the bandaid off. Uh, what about the Astros?
3: Yeah, they didn't have a lot of holes. I thought adding two closers to their <laughs> bullpen, you know, to set up for, for Ryan Presley and Graveman and Garcia, that was, that was a smart move. And then you had Phil Maton, them give, give them some more against certain types of hitters you can be really really good so when you're when you're already really good, I think improve your bullpen and you can never stop adding to your bullpen, whatever however, wherever they fit in that hierarchy, you know you just push everybody else down and uh and they're in great shape so the interesting thing was trading away in Straw, their center fielder. I thought there was a chance maybe a bigger move was going to follow, uh, but yeah, maybe they just really like Chas McCormick. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see if if Jake Myers gets to play there at all. But yeah, it's it looks like they basically traded away Miles Straw to give the job to Chaz McCormick.
1: I go back and forth on the Astros. Sometimes I think, oh, they did fine. So I think, eh, I'm in the middle. Uh, they're 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 tough for me. I would have liked to see just a more. A safer starting picture edition, but nothing major. I, I like Mayton. It's always fun to have a, a picture that is known for for spin rate obsession with the Astros, who <laughs> who kind of invented spin rate obsessions before. You know they were infamous for trash cananigans. We are almost done, and that brings us to the Washington Nationals. To me, I think they finally have faced reality because this is a very star, and then nothing after that. Once you're in a position where you're picking up alcides escobar mid-season and leading him off i think that's kind of a signal that maybe we're not so good and we're not going to be good in the future without a good farm system they hung on to juan Soto, which i think is important because he's young enough that you keep him for 15 years and and pay him all the money in the world i think what they did was necessary and i think they get a thumbs up for me
3: yeah i think i think you could look at that those standings and, and say like you know, or you know, before Strasburg, especially before Strasburg is ruled out for the season, you can look at that those standings and go, okay, we're not playing well, but at some point, this is what our roster could look like. Let's get within a few games, and then we got Scherzer, Strasburg, you know, down down the stretch. But I think they, you know, they did the right thing, and kind of like with the Cubs, like they got they got the World Series ring. So the fans are, of course, they're they're not going to if if you break it all down right now they they're going to get get a bit of a pass. You got your superstar there to build around and, and Soto, but yeah, you you need it to start re- rebuilding at least at least somewhat. Adding guys like JoJo Gray who, who's in their rotation now, and you know your catch your catcher of 2022 probably in Kiebert Ruiz. So yeah, their farm system has been bad for a while, and that's okay when you have a great, really good major league team that can win a World Series, but um yeah, I think you have to make that decision when it's time. So this yeah. So I, I wasn't wasn't surprised and yeah, maybe a little little bit surprised that they that they included Turner in that deal, Trey Turner, because they had one more year of him. But yeah, looking ahead, I think they just know let's just let's just tear it all down. He would have been a I thought he would have been a really big trade candidate in the offseason as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean they didn't get fringe prospects. They got pretty prime guys. Uh that brings us to the last team, the Dodgers. Easy thumbs up for me. There's no team in baseball that I think understands the time to push your chips and throw it all to the wind uh, as much as the Dodgers do. And, of course, having their payroll and their willingness to go through the the not a luxury, not a salary cap, but totally is. I, I think that's they did a great job this deadline, and they also deprived the Padres of, of Scherzer. So thumbs up for the Dodgers. They're their favorite to win the World Series if they get to win the
3: division. So thumbs up. Yeah, the Trey Turner deal was excellent, man. <laughs> I love that guy. And, and you know who else they have right now that really, that really bums me out is Billy McKinney. <laughs> Billy McKinney has come to Petco Park and killed the Padres with two different teams already this year, with the Brewers and the Mets, and now he's going to come back with the Dodgers. And we'll, we'll see if he can last on the, on the roster that long, but they might be holding, him, holding on to him just for that. Well, we are out of teams and probably out of time
1: at this point. Uh, I want to thank my colleague Jason Martinez for joining me as we went through the only trade deadline wrap-up that you need, and I'm the one who tells you what you need. Uh, So for Fangraphs Audio, I'm Dan Samborski.
2: And now on another Fangraphs Audio segment, I... Lead prospect analyst Eric Long and Hagem and joined by Brendan Golowski. Brendan, how's it going?
4: Doing well, Eric. How are you?
2: I'm good. It's really hot again here, uh, for a little while before. We've had a really mild summer, like the nicest summer of my seven years being here, where the monsoon is really active. It's cloudy some of the days. We're getting more rain than any summer except for my first one here so far. And it's been uh it's been nice. Like it's not so miserable going to Complex league games and also this summer I'm not forced into my house for fear of death. So that's been nice.
4: How are you doing? Well, up here it's about eighty five, which is about as hot as it gets. And so I've been kind of miserable and you're probably thinking, Go to hell.
2: Yeah, I am. When it was like in the mid nineties in Denver for All Star stuff and when I went home to Pennsylvania to see my family for the first time in a couple of years, uh, like at, towards the end of July, people were complaining about how hot it was, and I was I was definitely like you know, no, it's not. <laughs> this is nice. Yeah. Have you been going to see Everett or Tacoma at all?
4: More Everett. Uh, the road to Tacoma is a lot worse. And also Tacoma is almost criminally uninteresting this year, particularly once <laughs> they brought up Raleigh. But Everett, they've since promoted just about everybody besides yeah. uh, a couple of the pitchers. But for a couple of months there, that was one of the best affiliates in the country to go see. I agree.
2: Yeah, I you know, or Martinez got moved from the Blue Jays Low A to Vancouver today. So that's one where if you if you've got time over the next couple of weeks, it would be like, hey, get in and see Orelvis Martinez because it sounds like that was the name that teams were asking for from Toronto that they were not into giving up
4: well, during the last
2: uh, during deadline stuff. Yeah, so more inclined to part with Austin Martin perhaps than Elvis Martinez. I think that's an interesting thing. It is interesting. The reason that you came on is because you wrote a piece about Kamar Rocker, which is probably the big baseball story leading into this week. It's never good when it's, it's, I would say that when prospecty stuff is the lead story that 75% of the time it's because of something bad. And that was the case this week as we had the draft signing deadline lapse and a few draft picks didn't sign most prominently of all, because he was the most prominent amateur player of all, was Kamar Rocker not reaching an agreement with the New York Mets as pick number 10 overall. And uh, you wrote about it for earlier this week at Fangraphs. What moved you to do it? And how long has this idea to have a signing day rather than a draft been like incubating in your head?
4: Well, I think what moved me to do it was just that it's it's basically the saddest situation you can have out of the draft you have on the one hand in particular in Brocker's case where he is a bit more of a known commodity and he is somebody that even a casual fan is probably more excited to get than your typical 10th pick of the draft but you had a player who's finally beginning his professional career about to begin his professional career and a fan base that's ready for him to come there and then at the very last second it doesn't work because of a medical issue and that's tragic and the tie into signing day came about because as you're looking at this situation and thinking of it in the context of other times where this has happened, most notably with Brady Aiken, but also with Barrett Lau and a few other pitchers down the years, is that it's not really the team's fault either. And the Mets in this case saw the medicals, you know, they're not, they're not, not signing Rocker, you know, just because, eh, well, maybe he's going to need... You know surgery sometime down the line, they must have been really freaked out by this, which suggests that they would not have wanted to sign rocker if there was a more open market solution and they could have gone and pursued somebody else and on the on the flip side, maybe some other team could have seen rocker's medicals and said, "Well, you know it's maybe not the the cleanest elbow or shoulder that we've ever seen, but Uh, we think we can work with it. And if he needs surgery, he needs surgery. And it just seems like there was a better path forward for both teams where Rocker could still begin his professional career, where the Mets could go find somebody that they actually wanted to sign and that the system at present didn't do anybody any favors.
2: Yeah. And I think people can generally agree on all of that. Like Just for the sake of anyone maybe listening who's not totally up to date on all the little nooks and crannies that impact... What has occurred here, there's a an MRI program that prospects can enter into and it protects them in a way where in order for the team to receive a compensatory selection in the following year's draft for not signing a player, if they enter the MRI program, then the team has to offer them 40% of slot at their pick. Which, you know, if you're a player and you haven't felt pain and you've been pitching okay... And you don't feel the need to get like a preemptive physical, then you shouldn't submit to this MRI program. And in fact, almost all major prospects do not submit to the MRI program. It's generally thought amongst agents and players camps that like submitting to the MRI program can only hurt you or is at least more likely to hurt you than it is to help you. That like any 22 year old who's thrown a baseball really hard for the last half decade or so is going to have some amount of wear and tear and that alerting teams of this is is only bad. So Rocker did not submit to the MRI program, which allowed the Mets to uh not offer him anything. And we don't know whether or not Rocker and his camp were aware of what supposedly is going on medically in his arm. They, of course, released a statement saying that, you know, with with clever wording you know that is totally true and that rocker was pitching and he was quote-unquote healthy but you know this is a pitcher whose stuff has waxed and waned a couple of times since his senior year of high school it's not shocking to me if something was on medical because it wouldn't be shocking to me if something was on any pitcher's medical and i do think that i agree with you that if the met the mets did not mortgage the rest of their draft having anticipated that they were going to do this. At some point, they made a difficult decision that was, look, we'd rather have the 11th pick in next year's draft than this guy who we sacrifice the rest of our draft class for right now. And like, you don't come to that decision easily or lightly. And really the story here is that this is the the system that's been put in place largely because the owners wish to suppress salaries and point toward competitive balance as the reason for having a draft, you know, this is why there's a draft at all. And it is totally bizarre that in our country where there's no other business that operates this way, do we find it acceptable for sports to to continue to, to do this where the worst team picks first in the name of this competitive balancing? There's a My Sports Economics textbook in college it was written written by a man named Rodney Fort. The title of it creatively is Sports Economics, Second Edition. Okay, so like there's a study in this book that basically debunks the notion that the draft creates any so, sort of competitive balance. Okay, especially in baseball, where now my logic is taking over and not the textbook. Where like how how much money your your team is pumping into player dev, especially lately largely what is dictating what you get out of the draft anyway the teams like the dodgers and the yankees are just the ones that are pumping out the best guys and ultimately sign or acquire somehow the most talented guys and it's not the draft itself especially in baseball where there's so much lag is not a driving competitive balance variable so that's bunk but yeah we totally agree
4: (laughs) yeah it's a it's a best of byzantine route from A to B on the draft to a productive big leaguer. And you mentioned player development is a primary reason why, but also just naturally the vagaries of the sport and the propensity to get injured throughout the course of your minor league career makes it makes it pretty challenging. And I think you can also it's one of those things you don't even need a study to debunk that the idea that competitive balance in the draft is not is not really a major factor there. If you just look at this year's first round where you know one of the top 5 10 talents slips all the way to 16 just, you know, because and then the Boston Red Sox of all teams end up with a top player. It doesn't, doesn't really mm-hmm. feel very balanced at that point.
2: Yeah, some of the baseball draft timing dynamic is at is at play there. But basically, if you look back at like Steven Strasberg signed in the oh nine draft for 15 million, like he got a big league deal. He got a seven and a half million signing bonus and then like 2.5 million a year for the next three years. That number was creeping up, like, under the very old, several iterations ago, draft system, okay, this is, like, what had begun to happen, where occasionally you had guys like Strasburg who were represented by Scott Boris, who at the top of the draft were getting more and more money, big league deals out of the gate, and, like, with Strasburg, totally made sense, and he lived up to it in every feasible way, right? even amid a couple of severe injuries that required surgery and everyone was happy, but major league baseball eventually whittled things down to the draft system that we have now where there's like capped bonus pools and the most the top of the market can get is like seven between seven and 8 million basically is like how much the best guy in any given draft is going to get for his bonus and then similarly on the international market you had an arms race occurring basically where there was a race to spend as much money as you could and so you had like the Dodgers international class that is still subject to an FBI Department of Justice investigation surrounding human trafficking of Cuban players and then you had like Luis Robert being getting in under the wire before the new rules came in and you know Joan Moncada basically where like tens of millions of dollars between how much the player got And then how much teams were paying in the overages were being laid out for the top of the market for international players. And then as soon as the rules changed, Shohei Otani got $3 million as the top of the market guy. And Jason Dominguez got $5 million at the top of the market rather than what Moncada and Lubab got. And like all of this is because CBAs were renegotiated and the Players Association is part of the problem here two because they have zero incentive only the only members of the players association are people who have played major league baseball and so they don't have true incentive to aid the minor
4: leaguers plight and the amateur players plight and that's part of why we've ended up here as well it's pretty disgraceful when you think about it and not the situation as a whole is but also the players role in it is actually very cynical and you know the only value that the draft has to the current crop of players is as a set of things that they can give away in future negotiations and so their only interest in maintaining anything on the amateur side is just for you know the 2027 agreement or the 2032 right. or whenever and it's it's not a great situation and i would expect do you think there's going to be hard slotting at some point yep. because that that wouldn't surprise me at all
2: yep i think there will be hard slotting and an international draft yep And that those are two feathers in the cap of the players union right now to like hand over to the owners during the next round of negotiations. Someone somewhere who's better at understanding the financial mathematics of this situation offhand will tell you exactly like relative to relative to like, let's say, pre-arb salaries probably changing, like how much these two chips that the players have to hand over are worth. Because MLB is going to do whatever they can to just move money around here. Like, giving minor leaguers a living wage becomes more likely when there are too fewer rosters of minor leaguers to pay, right? Like, at some point, they were just like, all right, well, if we're going to pay them more, then there should be fewer of them so that we come closer to breaking even altogether, right? Like, this is the logic that's at play here. So I think that, of course, yeah, like, in exchange for something avoiding service time manipulation and maybe changes to the ARB process uh, so that we can avoid having so many guys non-tendered, which is, again, has been creeping up of late that, yeah, like the draft flexible slotting and international signings as we know it will just be handed over to hard slotted drafts that include trading for draft picks. So, you know there will be something more akin to like you want a guy for how much he's worth then you can find a way to go get him so it's a bizarre situation um you know in kumar rocker's specific case like he his family is very well off his dad is a former professional athlete this is not like life altering money for the family in a in a way that the same way it would be for like most other players or most right. other people. And that's, again, like, this is part of the baseball issue is that, like, there is a huge – it's a socioeconomic gap that's being created by, like, the burden of the processes in place now on – when it comes to, like, amateur scouting. Like, prep baseball report and perfect game and places that require you to, like, fly and stay in a hotel and pay for this and that team dues to get nice uniforms and – Uh, You know, just to find nine plus other kids with cleats and gloves and all that other stuff. Like, you know, you're talking about well-off families in well-off areas and it's furthering, you know, some of the socioeconomic divide in baseball that can also be mapped to racial lines. And yeah, in Kamar Rocker's case, that's not exactly true. Like in Jordan Mahler's case, it wouldn't have been true. But yeah, we had a couple other guys who didn't sign in addition to Rocker. Obviously, it's like it's egg on the face of everybody involved except for the kid who can't help that his arm is maybe not healthy, allegedly. But anybody who at any point was, was like pushing the kid, whether it was college coaches or his agent, like Rocker's stuff at some points during his amateur career has evaporated it happened when he was a senior in high school which is how he ended up at Vanderbilt in the first place and then we had he had no sophomore season really because of COVID and then again as a junior it happened again where it was mid to upper 90s early and then it went away and it was like low maybe into the mid 90s late and that's not a great sign so but yeah the other thing that we didn't mention is the Mets not taking a safety guy do you want to explain how that was a layup that they missed. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: so in the draft, picks one through 10, if you don't sign a player, that bonus pool money that's allocated to that slot counts against your overall pool. So like when the Mets don't sign Rocker, I don't have the number in front of me, but whatever uh, like the slot value. For, million. Okay. Thanks. Whatever the slot value for that pick is, the Mets basically lose that from their pool. For a pick in the 11th round or later, That's not the case anymore, or I guess never was, but in any case, if you pick a player and you don't sign them, you don't lose anything against your bonus pool. So in a situation like this, or really any situation, it pretty much always makes sense to have one kind of safety guy for you, somebody who is likely going to school, somebody whose bonus demands are a little bit beyond what the industry would give them, um, but are still in the stratosphere. So if somebody who the industry in general thinks is about a one, one and a half million dollar player, but the the kid wants to, that guy may end up at college, but it's, it's in, you know, say in this situation would have been in the Mets best interest to spend an 18th round pick on that kind right. of player. And so when rocker doesn't sign and you have a million plus dollars left over, you can go to this player who you, and, and say like, Hey, we've got, you know, $1.8 million. All of a sudden, is that good enough? And that, that kid very well might say yes at that uh at that stage. Right.
2: So in this case, the slot was for about four point seven. The initial reported agreement between Rocker and the Mets was for six million. And so they probably knew they probably knew what the number was before they called his name and then spent the rest of their draft in those first ten rounds the Mets did taking underslot guys to save $1.3 million on the slot values for the rest of those picks so that they could give that $1.3 million in pool space to Rocker. But then when Rocker doesn't sign, they lose that $4.7 million slot, but they still have the $1.3 million that they saved cumulatively via cutting underslot deals with the rest of the picks and then, yeah, they could theoretically have had a million-dollar safety guy somewhere between between rounds 11 and 20 who Thank they could you. have offered that $1.3 million to, and they just didn't take that guy. Uh, you could see, like, the Diamondbacks in the 12th round of their draft—I think it was the 12th round—took Davis Diaz, a Northern California high school shortstop, who put out a big number— before the draft, nobody wanted to meet it, but this is like slick fielding, contact oriented. Like his scouting report coming out is a lot like what Anthony Volpe's was coming out of high school and Volpe's now a top 100 prospect. And so like Davis Diaz in the 12th round, when it was clear he wasn't signable there for the Diamondbacks was clearly them taking a safety guy in case Lawler, their first round pick doesn't sign that they can at least pursue a deal with Davis Diaz. And like, yeah, it's it's a pretty easy call to do that. And again, like this is a sign, this is a sign that the Mets didn't anticipate this unraveling, that they were good faith actors in this. There have been times in the past where like particular executives, in the case I'm thinking of mentally right now, with a couple of teams, have whacked a bunch of high school arms medicals. And at times, because of assumptions, me and unnamed either current or former writing partners of mine have made publicly in some of our writing. Like we've had the agents of those players who failed their medical coming out of high school, come at us pissed, like as if like the team was acting in bad faith when they took the player initially, they whacked their medical on purpose to try to squeeze their bonus down a little bit and fit one or two more over guys into the pool Later on. But yeah, this is like, there are some people who, if you follow them as decision makers across the game, like, huh, that's weird that this many guys, high school mm-hmm. arms, especially have like failed medicals coming out. And it's like, oh, so many of these guys. And like, if I listed you the names, a bunch of them, you'd be like, that guy's been totally healthy. And then some of them, you'd go, oh no, I I could see that guy failing a medical. Like it is a mixed bag. You know, Mm -hmm. like it was an example, like James Paxton failed his medical coming out. And if I told you that, you'd be like, oh yeah, like James Paxton's had a bunch of pretty significant health issues during the course of his career. I guess I could see him reasonably failing his medical, but it's not totally true for everybody. So, but in this case, like the fact that the Mets goofed this other part of it so badly, and this is objectively like they messed up bad, not having a safety guy.
4: This is draft 101. There's basically no reason for any team to not do this at some point in those last 10 rounds
2: yeah there's got to be a million dollar prep arm who you like somewhere who's going to school even Mm -hmm. someone who you just have valued at like six seven hundred k Who you just go give them a million bucks and then you've got another like 400k to give to like a junior college guy you like or something Mm -hmm. like that like you know and again like if you sign anybody between rounds 10 and 20 for over 125k then that overage counts against your pool and that's this like the room for cream that you've created it's almost the thinking about it that way it's like If you're going to do a big over-slot deal, you want to do it the way the Rays – or not the Rays, the Padres did with like Cole Wilcox and Hudson Head and like the Mets did a couple years ago with Matthew Allen where you're blowing it out in like the third round because that's where like if you don't sign the guy and you do take your safety guy, the slot you're losing – In the third round isn't as big as pick 10 or pick seven, Mm -hmm. you know, or wherever Carter Stewart went. Like you're losing a slot in round three rather than in round one. And I think that that gives you some more flexibility because then your safety guy can be like a real dude because the slot you're losing in the third round is more like 750K instead of, you know, 4 million or whatever. Right. Do you have any other thoughts on the other two guys who didn't sign,
4: Alex Uloa or Judd Fabian? Fabian seems like. I mean the the obvious connection here uh, to go way back in the draft would be to somebody like Matt Laporta, another Florida Gator who had a, a disappointing junior yes. season and then went back. I'm always surprised when they when players like that do go back, just because I I feel like I would want to get the clock running on my professional career, you know, even if the signing bonus isn't what I you know what I was hoping it would be, just because that missed year is such a you know such a sunk cost essentially.
2: Yeah. The rumor is that it was a 500k gap between what he wanted and, and what the Red Sox were willing to give him and that like what the Bo Sox were offering was pretty close to slot, maybe a little bit above.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's going to be interesting. He was young for the class, so it gave him a little bit more leverage. But instead of being 20.9, he'll be 21.9 <laughs> during next year's draft, which is going to look old compared to the other guys. Like he'll go yeah. from being one of the younger guy is one of the older ones. He's got to just not strike out so damn much next year. And he has a chance to go in the top 20, which is basically what, uh, you know, if he goes in the top 20 next year, then he'll have made the right decision, basically. Probably, probably. But you're right. Like, if you're – don't you want to start your 40-man clock? Don't you want to get – if you're really going to blow it out and make a lot of money as a pro baseball player, it's because you cash in in free agency and you just –
4: You're either gonna succeed or you're not, I think. I think that's it's more if you're gonna bet on yourself to use kind of the term that's tossed around for guys who don't wanna sign those pre arb deals, the bigger bet on yourself is to just sign and get into Pro Bowl and put yourself in a better position to make money down the line.
2: Right. Yeah, that's the other thing that's like puzzling about, you know, like kids going to school early or pulling their name out of the draft. And again, a lot of times it's like Tanner Witt, who went to Texas, who could have had like two point five million close to the back of the first round in the 2020 draft ended up going to school and like he comes from oil barons or something like that like (laughs) you know it's just the type of people who end up being able to do this are it's always because it's like oh well if you break and don't make any money like it's fine Mm -hmm. but yeah then you Loa Yulo was the fourth rounder by the Astros. He was the second high schooler they took. They took Tyler Whitaker from Bishop Gorman in the Vegas area high schooler, corner outfield with power, uh, strikeouts. Yulo also strikeouts, more third base than shortstop, but play in like middle and field in high school. I'm not really sure how things broke down there, but someone told me that it might be an entertaining story, but, but I don't I don't really know exactly what happened there. But he'll be, I think he's old enough that he'll be a draft eligible soft uh, in a couple of years. And then Fabian will just be eligible again next year and by all accounts, a pretty strong class. Like next year's draft class seems pretty exciting based on the the guys I've seen and like the first little bit of looks I've gotten at the 2022 high schoolers. If you have a, a name or three to throw out there for 2022 draft.
4: Oh man, you're putting me on the spot here. I do in part because he comes from my high school, Richie, the, the kid who goes to Bainbridge.
2: Oh yeah, Ian Richie Jr.
4: Yeah. 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 So he, um, our high school is has never had a big leader before. So it's uh, it's kind of exciting. Uh, go Spartans. I wish I had a little bit more to offer you beyond that bit of person. He's a good but one. Who, who are you looking at?
2: Yeah, Ian Richie Jr. Um, I've seen him twice. I saw him in January when some of the Pacific Northwest kids came down to Arizona to play. He was like in the low 90s. His arm is really fast. He's got a hell of a breaking ball. He's kind of a slider build type guy, but it's just like super athletic, fast arm kid. So he's exciting. You know, Jace Young, who's Josh Young's brother, Josh Young, the top prospect in the Rangers system, top 100 overall guy. Jace is built just like him. He's he's a lot like him in many ways, except he hits left handed and has kind of like a cool. He's got one of the cooler swings in baseball right now. Jace Young does. So that's a big name. And then Elijah Green is is also an already famous name from the high school group of next year where it's like seven raw power, seven runner. But the dude strike out a third of the, struck out a third of the time in varsity play during the spring. So I think the hit tool piece is sort of lacking there. And that early on that he, there, there was like some, hey, if this guy were in the 21 draft that he would just go first. I don't think that's true. I don't think that like, that's going to be true for, for next year either, I think. Not that Elijah Green sucks. He's going to get paid a lot because he's got seven raw and he's a seven runner. Of all the guys who took BP at the Futures game, there were two of them who put a ball halfway up the bleachers in dead center field at cores. Like this is, you know, it was, who was the, who was the prospect? Elijah Green was one of them. Right, like he took BP at the high school futures, the high school all star game on Friday before the futures game, and put a ball halfway up the bleachers in dead center field, just left of the batter's eye in at Coors. And now I'm trying to think if there was one other dude who did it during the futures game BP. And I think was it Beatty? It might have been Brett Beatty or Rutschman. It was someone ridiculous. Where like this high school underclassman and the guy who hit the ball the furthest during futures game BP, like shouldn't it shouldn't be the same? Like it's not normal. The amount of power that this kid has. The name that like, and we have to update the future draft boards here. I got to like throw Judd Fabian and stuff on there and Kumar Rocker. I still, Tamar Johnson, the shortstop from Mayo High School. and you know, like the Southeast is loaded again. This is the 80 grade bat speed kid in the class is Tamar Johnson, whose breaking ball recognition is kind of scary. So he's officially in that like Khalil Watson was this year, except Johnson's been known about for like a couple of years, but is in that same like, wow, look at this kid's bat speed. That's unbelievable. And also he's corkscrewing himself into the ground, swinging and missing at breaking stuff in my looks. Uh, and then Andrew Jones's kid, Andrew Jones's kid, who's also his name named Andrew Jones, is incredible. He's incredible. I've seen him play center field. I've seen him take infield at second and short. He was putting balls out as a skinny little freshman at the breakthrough series in Tempe. This would have been January of, or February, excuse me, of 19 or maybe 20. I forget which one now. But he was putting balls out of Tempe Diablo Stadium during BP. He was like this wispy little thing. And he's not totally filled out yet, but he's getting bigger and there's more room there. And he's got his he's got dad's baseball stuff going on. Like maybe not all of it, because I don't think we've ever seen a better center fielder like someone like Andrew Jones. But uh, but there's a lot of that in there, which I think is just like I might take him. I might take him first if the draft were tomorrow. But yeah, it's I think it's going to be a really awesome draft a year from now. But drafts aren't awesome,
4: which I think is the lesson that we want to take away. Can I ask you one more question sort of on that subject? Yeah. Hypothetically, and obviously this is incredibly unlikely and probably getting unlikelier with the day, but if there was kind of a signing day, how would that change how teams use their scouts and would that make scouting more valuable than it seems to be right now?
2: That's always been, that was the argument under the Old international system is that part of why it was good is that it rewarded scouts, good scouts, and yeah, I think that there's something about there's something about that that I think is is true.
4: I think also like the makeup component of it is one area where particularly area scouts in this era can really add a lot of value, and I think that would become all the more important in an environment where you could sink all of your bonus pool money in just a couple of guys. And the different yeah. strategies that you take in that situation could sort of reward that aspect of the job a little bit more. And that's kind of the one thing that scouts have right now over over the track man and over some of the other technology that's come into play in the last five or ten years.
2: Yeah, and it's hard to gauge like would we all just be – are we in some respect being like human polygraph tests when we're talking about evaluating the makeup of – 17 and 18 year old boys, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's, it is, I do think it's important and ultimately a separator for individual players between one another. But I do think, like, would we be better than chance actually predicting what kind of young man a 17 year old kid is going to become? Like, probably not. Probably not. It's another one of those reasons where, like, why is the industry so slow to integrate women? into this process, you know, like if there's anybody who's, who's got experience sitting across from a young man and trying to like suss out what kind of person he is, like it's going to be, it's going to be women. So yeah, I think like that's a hugely important piece of it that has just been shoved under the rug. I mean, I know why (laughs) it's been hard to integrate women into this system, but it seems like baseball winning trumps all. 90% of the time and people just behave that way which is why like the Mets just thought at some point they had to say look the optics of this are going to be terrible and also we just think based on looking at this guy's medical that like the 11th pick next year is what we want and that's unfortunate and it's one of those like I don't know like it's just a stain it's just it's not anyone's fault really some of the other pieces of it are not good and are definitely people's fault. But when, yeah, like, I don't think that some doctor's lying or whatever is wrong somewhere that works for the Mets. Like, it's just not no, a boating no. accident type thing.
4: No. And, like, it's important to remember that, like, two different doctors can look at the same medical report and come to different conclusions. So there's there's a chance that they're sort of both right in right. a way.
2: And some teams would just take a chance. Like, if Rocker were made a free agent tomorrow – I don't know what kind of perverse incentives are being created in that situation because then it's like, all right, well, team didn't draft me. Like, let's – I don't know. Are there ways we can get out of this so I can become a free agent? Like, But ultimately, I think that would be fine because that's what we're advocating for in lieu of a draft. But yeah, like the Dodgers just felt free to take a $10 million flyer on Blake Trinan and Corey Canable in back to back years and like one of them worked out in a big, big way, and the other one hasn't. And the Dodgers are cool with that. Like spending twenty mil basically for Blake Trinan. Because mm-hmm. they can. But, you know, the A's don't want to.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean the A's want to, but their owner doesn't want to.
4: Right. Now there is there is an element of competitive balance that I I, I poo pooed in the article completely. I'm I shouldn't say I'm not at all concerned about the implications there. I just think that whatever system you work out, you could use. I mean, you could still address competitive balance within that kind of framework.
2: And I just think if you're a billionaire that owns a team, and like the Royals sold for a billion dollars, yeah, it should just be your it's your toy. Yeah, just it pay should for just your people. be your civic plaything to like you know, breed goodwill and foster community in the city that they're winning in. And so just if you can't, if you can't throw down with the Yankees and the Dodgers, then like don't buy a sports team. Yeah. Buy a minor league franchise or like a yacht or something, but don't like, don't buy a sports team and then try to squeeze every dime out of it. Like that's bad for all of us. It is. All right. Thanks for coming on, Brendan. And folks, if they haven't read his piece should do so it's excellent it hasn't been published at the site when we're recording this yet but already everyone knows that it exists because it's been passed around in the fangraphs background because of how good it is so thanks for coming on and hopefully next time you hop on it'll be with better news
4: yeah let's have something happy to talk about next time see you dude take care
0: This has been Fangraphs Audio. We hope you enjoy the show. Make sure to check out that Fangraphs.com store and get one of those ad-free subscriptions for blazing fast load times. And check out the Fangraphs newsletter. It's a great free way to hear about what we have going on at the site, which is plenty. We hope you have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.